And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like My First Million. My First Million is hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry. They feature famous guests. They discuss how companies made their first million and then some. They brainstorm new business ideas based on the hottest trends and opportunities in the marketplace. Here are some of the topics they talk about. If you like any of these, you will love the show. Three profitable business ideas that you should start in 2022. Drunk business ideas that could make you millions. Asking the founder of Grammarly how he built a $13 billion company or SaaS companies that anybody can start. If these topics are up your alley, go check out My First Million. Listen to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, my guest is Abby Fallick. She is the founder and CEO of Global Citizen Year. Now, Global Citizen Year is a nonprofit helping shape the next generation of leaders. They recruit talented students to spend eight months overseas, somewhere with a host family, serving a local community through an apprenticeship similar to an internship, attending classes, learning, and participating in the culture. Abby is a Harvard Business School graduate. She is an award-winning social entrepreneur. She has been profiled by the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, the Chronicle for Higher Education. She speaks globally. She's been featured at forums, including the Aspen Ideas Festival, the Obama Foundation Summit, Fast Company Innovation Festival, Pop Tech, and the Nantucket Project. She is named one of America's top 25 philanthropist speakers. She was named uh the, one of the most intriguing entrepreneurs for three years by Goldman Sachs. And she was also named one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company as well. She has created uh, the Global Citizen Year to help shape the next generation of leaders. So we spoke about her origin story, how her time abroad growing up gave her different perspectives on the world, on different cultures, and then ultimately on social entrepreneurship. And now she tries to teach over her experiences through Global Citizen Year. We spoke about uh, ultimately what social entrepreneurship is, what it isn't, why we have to work towards making it the de facto form of entrepreneurship, how to define social entrepreneurship. We also spoke about why education is broken and some ideas on how to fix it, uh, most notably focusing on things that allow you to be successful in 10, 20, 30 years from now when the jobs that you're going to be having and holding are jobs that may have not even been invented yet. So we have to fix education. 
We have to focus on social entrepreneurship. We have to redefine success. We have to redefine how companies measure success. And we have to redefine how to communicate to stakeholders uh, how to uh, measure success as an organization through impact. Although profits are important, how do we measure through impact? And then uh, lastly, how do we redefine leadership and give people agency and help them understand that they can uh, implement and invoke change across, uh, across the globe through the actions they take, whether or not it be building a company or working in an organization. So social entrepreneurship lessons, entrepreneurship lessons, some ideas on how to fix education and some ideas on how to just be a better person in the world and how to incorporate that into the businesses that we build. Let's jump right into it. This is Abby Fallick. She is the founder, CEO of Global Citizen Year. All the way back, well, I grew up in Berkeley, California, um, and had the enormous fortune of having parents who valued travel as the highest form of education. They had experienced that themselves, but later in their lives, as, as young adults before having kids, they had taken all their savings, quit their jobs, and spent a year traveling around the world in 1978. Um, and so that goes way back, but I think that was then such a formative influence in our childhood and upbringing, where we were... Um, young and you know following them through villages and you know visiting schools in southeast asia and south africa and latin america um, and having experiences that really just shook me out of the bubble of context i'd been born in and gave me a sense that the world is huge and very unequal and i had won a birth lottery and um I had no choice but to orient my life toward equalizing opportunity um, and figuring out how to use my access and various forms of privilege and education toward the end of creating possibility and helping other young people reach their potential as well. I love that. The, the story makes sense. When you're exposed to that, you, you understand you understand the... The, like you mentioned, the privilege we have in, in North America, being North, born in North America, but not everybody does something about it either. Like I, I think it's 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 a lot of work to assume that you can just uh, fix the world sometimes. So, what was the what was the first iteration of 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 you wanting to do something that did have a positive social impact, and how did it evolve over your career? I have been wired entrepreneurially from as long as I can remember. So I remember selling neckties, uh, my dad's old ties, the lawyer, door to door uh, in our neighborhood to make some money. And then when I was in middle school, started a summer camp for local kids who didn't have anywhere to go during the summer. And so I've always just been someone to identify an opportunity and a need, a missing piece, and then sort of why not be the one to connect the dots and the resources to make something happen. Um, and when I finished high school, I was so tired from the treadmill. I had been what I now could call an excellent sheep. I had, you know, followed in line, done the things, checked the boxes, gotten into college, and I knew something was missing. I, I felt like I was letting school get in the way of my real education, and I desperately wanted to spend some time outside of the classroom in the real world in a way that would shape my values and perspective and identity and sense of purpose in a way that I knew, you know, my freshman year of college couldn't. Um, so in many ways, ever since then, since I was 18 and looking for something like Global Citizen Year, I have been fixated on how to bring this into the world. 
and and walk people through like what global citizen year actually is because i think it's a very novel concept right i think a lot of people explore after college after university but that's that's not what you're looking to achieve so tell me tell me about that well the insight is the sooner we can develop a set of practices that help us recognize our own agency resilience ability to take risks insight that there's no path we're forging the path as we go the sooner a young person develops that sense, the further from the origin they end up. And in so many cases, we wait till a midlife crisis or, you know, something later in life that shifts your perspective. But what if it became normative that 18-year-olds had an experience that was like a rite of passage that shaped their orientation and, in our view, an orientation around what they can do to line up their talents and abilities with what the world needs most? kind of as a counterforce once they're then in college and being swept along, uh, a counterforce to all the pressures that say, optimize for your own personal advancement, maximize profit generation for yourself or your entity. What does it look like to embed a sense of civic responsibility that extends so far beyond yourself and, and personal gain, but to hold people in our planet as, as your bottom line? You asked what Global Citizen Year does, which I didn't answer at all. Um, we're a nonprofit on a mission to redesign a life stage, emerging adulthood, so that young people worldwide have an experience of themselves in the world, whether it's through travel and immersion or a very intensive online leadership course that we've designed that helps young people find their people, their purpose, their power to drive impact, and that that is then the foundation from which they begin the rest of their life. And you basically emulate the experience that you had as a child when you're pushing people out of their comfort zone, right? Because I think you you actually put them in parts of the world where they're spending time with, with other cultures, other families, and they're not in their comfort zone. That's part of it, correct? It's huge. That's a huge yeah. piece of it. And um, for me, I ended up going straight to college because there wasn't something like Global Citizen Year. True. And then I, I took a year off during college and I was living and working in Latin America. And I wasn't in a study abroad. I wasn't in a formal program. I was on my own. And um, the experience was more formative than anything I'd had in my formal education. And that was a key and foundational insight for me was the things that we give credentials and credit for are quite disconnected from the skills and abilities that are actually most essential to building a meaningful life and to being a human who's equipped to thrive in the world as it changes. And so my mission has been, how do we create the right amount of structure? Not everybody's going to take a backpack and a you know book of Portuguese verbs and show up in a Brazilian city to figure it out. I mean, I'm glad I did it that way. And at the same time, there were real constraints to what I was able to learn. Uh, so what we do is take that experience and scaffold it with a cohort of peers, with a curriculum, with a coach, an adult who guides you through the experience. We don't want to stifle your learning, but we want to keep you in your stretch zone. And, um, you know, we talk about the, everyone has a comfort zone, a stretch zone, and a panic zone, but we only learn in one of those regions. Um, and our job is to hold kids in the stretch so that they can become who they're supposed to be. What I think is interesting is, is so I want to talk about education, and I want to talk about our traditional systems, and I want to talk about why I think education is broken. And then I also think you take it a step further, which is incredible, which I actually have never made that argument before. But this is why I like speaking to you in particular, because I think traditional education is broken. And I think that there's some merit to it. But I really do believe that just a more entrepreneurial focused education 
framework is important, but then you take it a step even further than that. You, you layer on civic and social responsibility, but I still feel like we're two steps away. I feel like we have to like move away from traditional and entrepreneurial when that seems to be like the de facto, then, then we can start to understand how do we, cause we were just, just before we went on, we're like, how do we change social entrepreneurship into just entrepreneurship? Yeah. Right? How do we just make it the and and it's not the de facto by any means. That's why we still have conversations about what is social entrepreneurship versus just regular. So let's talk about education, and then I also want to define what social entrepreneurship is and what it isn't. And I think that's mm -hmm. an interesting point as well. What what are your like? What are your opinions on education? What is the existing system set up to achieve? How do we fix, change, modify all of that institution into something that can actually create smarter, better, more impactful, whatever that word is, people coming out of, you know, their 20s into their 30s, I guess, well, actually their teens into their 20s, sorry. Yeah. The paradigm hasn't changed in generations. Uh, it's a factory model of education where we see students as inputs, we see a teacher as sort of embedding knowledge that then needs to be typically regurgitated on a final exam. And then somebody gives you a credential because you've checked a set of boxes. The problems with this are that we live in a world where robots can already pass the college entrance exams, literally. So we are teaching to tests that robots can pass. And every most efforts around education reform are just trying to improve test outcomes. But once you recognize that you know, the, the metrics are actually the wrong things to be measuring on. We need to step back and say this sort of standardized one size fits all approach that's breeding conformity, that's that's making kids risk averse. I mean, high school is a high stakes game to get into selective college in the U.S. today. And what that means is that kids are terrified of exploring their interest or their curiosity until they know that they can do it well, right? There's such a fear of failure. And yet, if you zoom out and look at what the world will require of a young person today, you know, the, the jobs they'll hold have not been invented yet. They need to know their own, I would call, I like what you said, Scott, about their entrepreneurial power. And and when I talk about entrepreneurial, being entrepreneurial with your life or with your education, it doesn't mean go out and be a quote entrepreneur. It doesn't mean everybody needs to start a business. Um, in fact, you know, that would be disastrous. But what it does mean is seeing yourself as in the driver's seat, because if you're not in the driver's seat, you're in the passenger seat and you're just being pulled along passively. But what the world needs is everyone to know their ability to drive their own car <laughs> and to choose yeah. their own path. But when you take people out of this this setting and and you do um, immerse them in a different type of education, I think it, that imbues civic responsibility. But how does that teach them entrepreneurship? How does that okay? How does that teach them entrepreneurship in the you're in you're in control of your own destiny? Think outside the box. Learn thing. Learn how to learn so that you can have a job that hasn't been invented yet in ten years from now. How does that solve for that? Well, so we see the global citizen year as the equivalent of a year of your education. You have your senior year of high school and then you move toward a global citizen year, but it is a year defined on your own terms. So there's not a syllabus. There's not a final exam. You are in charge of finding your teachers. It might be your four-year-old host sister in 
the home you're living in, in a community in Senegal. Um, it might be the physician at the clinic where you're supporting an, an apprentice um, in Pune, India. And there's there's an opportunity to consider. And, and most 18-year-olds who've been sort of shuttled along this conveyor belt have never stopped to think, what do I learn when it's not required? Who are my teachers when they're not assigned? What are the things that light me up or break my heart that I can't not do something about? And so I really appreciate, Scott, that you're making this link between a sort of civic and social engagement approach and an entrepreneurial orientation, because I think that gets at the heart of what drives me in the world is how do we equip Gen Z to see themselves at the intersection of those two things? That's where I think that that's where I think that we have to solve for. That's what you're solving for. That's what I think we do have to solve for. And I want to now. This is what I want to understand. What what is social entrepreneurship? What isn't it? And I ask that because if somebody's looking at, for example, like a like an Elon Musk, and and he's you know putting people on Mars, and he's creating an electric car, and he's doing all these incredible things, and he's like, well, that's advancing humanity. How is that not to the benefit? But ultimately. That's driving incredible profits. There's shareholders, stakeholders. Obviously, he's incredibly wealthy himself. So how do we define what social entrepreneurship is? What isn't it? Is there some gray area for some causes? Or is it very black and white? Oh, it's definitely not black and white, I think. Nothing is. Very Very few things are ever black and white. And I think that the lines between you know, what we've called entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship are blurring. I think the lines between the sectors, the traditional sort of nonprofit, for-profit, public sector distinction, also totally blurring and frankly, don't make sense anymore. I think those are outmoded and not useful designations in many ways. Um, For me, my favorite definition of of entrepreneurship is the pursuit of resources, sorry, the pursuit of an opportunity independent of the resources under control. It's this notion of stepping off a cliff and having confidence that that you will assemble the airplane or the parachute as you, before you land, but it's the pursuit of an opportunity before you know where the resources come from. And in social entrepreneurship, I think that the, the opportunity you're pursuing holds people and our planet and, and some sense of social purpose as your bottom line. I think we get tied in circles when we think about double and triple bottom line businesses. So this is probably the gray area where, you know, when push comes to shove at the end of the day and you're making decisions as a leader of an entity, one line is on the bottom, period. So we set ourselves up as a not-for-profit at Global Citizen Year by design so that we could be clear that impact and not profits at the end of the year were, were the singular bottom line. That doesn't mean we don't raise you know, money or think about revenue strategically or fine paying customers. It just creates a clarity about to what end we will make decisions when things are murky. Very smart. And how do you measure impact? Transformative experiences for young people um, who wouldn't have otherwise had them. We, we have a framework for training and measuring what we call the real 21st century skills, R-E-A-L. These are resilience, empathy, agency, and leadership. And leadership we define not as a position or an arrival point or a title or a salary, leadership as a practice. And there's a set of behaviors that we believe our leaders need to exhibit. It's you know, practicing curiosity before judgment, aligning your life with your convictions, 
having courage to do hard things, connecting across lines of difference to build empathy. And our belief is that we can embed those behaviors and practices in young people when they're 18 and create a community that supports them in continuing to exhibit them as they move into their careers. So over time, it's about launching new leaders who will approach their sense of responsibility in a completely different way. And how do you, as because obviously businesses don't operate in silos, so how do you convince the, the shareholders, the stakeholders, the investment, the, the philanthropists, how do you convince them that this is the model that's going to move the needle in, in the future? Because that's a, probably a very difficult conversation. That's, that's half the battle with social entrepreneurship, right? It's how do, you, how do you get everybody on board with it? When I have an opportunity to sit with somebody and if they are open to listening and to reflecting on their own lived experience, it's pretty universal that education was formative. It's fairly universal that there's a distrust and frustration with the way that leaders across sectors are approaching their roles and responsibilities. And it's not a leap of faith to then recognize that if we want the future to look better than the present, the input to that shared future is changing the way we approach education. The status quo will get us more of the same and revolutionizing our approach to education gives us a shot at actually preparing young leaders, a new new cadre of leaders who are more representative, more courageous, more humble, more empathetic, and who can actually outpace the existential challenges we're up against. Incredible. So when when you're when you work with the so this is this is something that you've noticed. Like it's just a matter of having the right conversations. Like I guess I always hear the opposite. I always hear how do we how do we remove that that fiscal component? Because at the end of the day, people just care about that that hard bottom line. And even even one of the quotes that you put out is, I think the last two years, it's an opportunity, or or sorry, it may have been like a someone else's quote. I don't mean to misquote you, but it was the last year was an opportunity to disrupt the status quo. But most most philanthropists just reinforce the status quo. So obviously, it's not it's evident if I get Abby in front of somebody. But how do I multiply? Abby, how do I get Abby ingrained in in what VC firms, what you know, what Andreessen Horowitz or or, or BlackRock? How do I get that level of entre- of of investor to to sort of follow this framework that that you're that you're living and breathing and evangelizing and championing? Because I I agree with you, but it also has to be the big players, the soft banks that that also believe in this, right? Well, to start, my goal is certainly not to replicate the Abbeys. I think there are. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, as a leader, you're always on the lookout for more ways to arm yourself with knowledge. The books, the seminars, and most importantly, the podcasts that help you make the best possible decision for you, your company, your customers. Because when you know more, you can apply more and you can grow. With HubSpot's CRM platform, you can store track, manage, and report on all the tasks and activities that make up your relationships with customers. With a bird's eye view over all your customer interactions, HubSpot empowers your decision making like never before. So you can give your business and your customers all the good you've got. Learn how to make your business grow better at HubSpot.com. You know, there's <laughs> desperate need for varied backgrounds and and yes. um yes exposures and experiences, and mine is just one slice, but I do believe 
that what we're doing is creating is kind of like a Trojan horse approach here. When I think about, you know, in nonprofit speak, we talk about a theory of change. What are the various assumptions we have about what can move the needle over time? And for us, it's that theory is foundational around leadership. It says if we can identify uh, young people on the cusp of adulthood before they've landed their decisions about what to study and what careers to pursue. And we can rewire their orientation around the things that matter most to the world. That I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
it's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay we are then seeding these high achievers who are impact first oriented into positions of power and influence across the soft banks and across the you know all, all industries and sectors um so it's really beginning through an, an approach that changes the sort of creates a an army, a movement of young people who can help live and act and reflect a different approach to, you know, what it'll take to, to save us on this shared I, planet. I appreciate that. That's just, it's a smart strategy. And if you were going to speak to somebody who's earlier on in their career and 
Maybe they want to figure out where they should end up next in their career. They maybe even want to start a company. What is your advice for starting that company or, or what direction they could move it? I guess more, it's probably more applicable to if they want to start a company, because realistically, if you do want to make an impact, there's probably organizations that you would gravitate towards anyways that are that, like their vision is aligned with what you'd like to, to, you know, to be part of your career. But starting a company like Canvas is blank. Yeah. I mean, it can be in the social entrepreneurship space as well. So I think we have way too many nonprofits in the world and way too many college students starting new nonprofits because it you know, seems like a, a cool thing to do. And we hold that up on a pedestal and um, and, you know, shower those entrepreneurial leaders with awards. And I think what's really needed is, um, you know, rather than thinking of ourselves as problem solvers, can we see ourselves as solution accelerators. So if you can see, figure out what's working somewhere, and I think this applies in the social sector and also in the business sector, figure out what's working and take it to where it's needed. Mm -hmm. And it is likely that the thing you're passionate about and envisioning and, and sort of called to bring into the world has been tried in some context. So before you start anything, you got to become the world's leading expert at the intersection of all the things that you're trying to solve for. And then from there, it's figuring out, well, what's the right form for this? What's the goal? What's the ultimate purpose? You should figure out your tax status, i.e., are you a nonprofit or for-profit based on the goal, not based yeah. on whether you want to. I'm always frustrated when young people will come to me and say, well, I really am a nonprofit person or I want to work in a nonprofit. And to me, that doesn't say a thing about what you actually do want. I mean, I think the term nonprofit is diminishing of what that whole sector exists to do. We should call it the for purpose or for impact sector. But I think young people shouldn't define um, their passion or path based on the, again, the sort of tax status of the organization as opposed to what is it you're here to get done? What role do you think you distinctively can play? Are you the founder leader? Are you the first mover? Are you the first follower, which is just as important? Are you an entrepreneur? Are you an entrepreneur? So it really comes down to knowing yourself and figuring out how you align what you're distinctively good at and what gives you energy with a problem yeah. you're really passionate about solving. I think that that's probably one of the smartest ways to frame entrepreneurship, a, a solution accelerator, because there's too many people that try and almost reinvent a problem that doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. To be honest, they're trying to solve something or they're trying to re, you know, reinvent the wheel and they don't have to as an entrepreneur. They really don't have to. That's a very smart. I've never heard that before. I, I'm, I, I like that. That's like a quote. That's a, that's a quotable for sure. A solution. Good. Good. I'm that's sure a, I did a, not make it up. I wish I could attribute it correctly. <laughs> but um, yeah, anything that's worth quoting probably came in the mishmash of my brain from all the people I look up to and learn from. You you also, you speak to incredible people too, and you bring them into into the global citizen, your community. One of the, like, this is one quote that just stood out. And I, I just wanted to understand the context for this quote, because a lot of what you do is is changing frameworks, changing lenses. Um, I think it was with the conversation with Deepak uh, Chopra. And he, it was from that conversation. I'm not sure, again, I don't know where these quotes come from, if it's him or if it's you commenting on on that talk. But it was how will we change the world from the inside out? What does that What does that mean to you to to us? Leadership is an inside job. <laughs> Happiness, meaningful life, all of that happens. It starts from the inside out. And I 
believe, you know, again, it comes to my theory of change and our organization's theory of change is that you can't change the world until you change individuals first. And that begins by mapping, uh, being as committed to understanding our inner landscape as the outer context. And our schools certainly never focus on that, teaching self-awareness, helping young people discern between different emotional states, really develop a, um, an intimate and evolving relationship with themselves. It sounds so trite or cheesy, but really the only way we can change the world is by changing ourselves first. You know, it's funny. All the things that sound cheesy, all the, all the things that <laughs> are, are like, true. You know, it's so true. Like, you know, I, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, this is my next question to you. You, you always, you, you keep speaking about redefining leadership. And then we speak about how leadership is like, you know, it, it is one way. And, and this is the way that we've always seen leadership and it's, but it shouldn't be a position or a title or a salary. And, but when you keep saying these things, you hear them again and again. We should redefine leadership. We should be socially conscious. We should look at the world through, you know, we have to fix education. And then we have to, f- and also this, like this Deepak Chopra, we have to fix ourselves, our businesses from the inside out. It's all true. But the issue is that it's not actioned on enough. It's, mm-hmm. it, there's not enough change. So people like speaking to it and people, it sounds great. But then I feel like maybe either we haven't heard it enough or we cave to cave to what we're comfortable with or i i'll take myself as an example obviously i feel like leadership should be one way i feel like companies should be run very much in line with what you the way that you speak about how companies should be run but as as a as a business leader i also you know in the conversations with the board you start talking about the you're not talking about impact you're talking about financials you you default to what's what's comfortable and what's defensible and what's normal and actually i'm going to ask you a question on that one first and then i just want to talk a little bit about leadership but when you find leaders that are listening to this and they're like yes i do want to have more of an impact i want to take my organization in one way but i'm in this particular position and when i report my q1 financials my board doesn't you know care that much about the impact there when we're not making the money that we're supposed to be making how do you remove yourself out of that position? How do you make your situation better so that you can focus on or prop, or perhaps better educate the people that you work with about that long-term vision? What's your leadership lessons for getting people on board with what you believe? How do you change that change management? That's tough. I think if I'm understanding right, it starts with the foundational purpose of the entity. Yes. And I think so many businesses have been founded um, with a very singular and focused and easy to measure and define profit maximizing purpose, period. And I think it's actually really hard. It's not just about managing change around that. It's about a whole reset that says, whoa, as an entity, we exi- what do you exist to do? Because what me- what you measure is what gets done. It's what you manage toward. Um, and the form and the function of what you're actually oriented around follow from what's that North Star. Um, so I would just encourage people who are thinking of starting new businesses to be very clear about what the purpose is. 
Um, and, and what externalities you're accounting for, right? So you can have, I, I, I don't mean that the sort of profit maximizing orientation is necessarily bad. I think the problem is when you're not then accounting on your balance sheet for all the externalities or harm you may be causing. So it doesn't work for society to have companies, you know, maximize profits for shareholders with, well, ignoring other stakeholders, including humans and mm-hmm. health and the planet's sustainability. And then out of those profits, you give some of it away to help, you know, you, you've made the money in one hand and you're giving it away with the other to sort of often put band-aids on problems that you may have contributed to solving. So it's just a much more holistic way that I think we need to see the role of the corporation um, in society as accounting for its positive and detrimental contributions. Very good. I love that. Um, and it's something that hopefully if you are in an organization, you can you can move towards and start to bring up those ideas so that you're right. If it's a large organization, it's hard if it wasn't founded on the on the correct principles or or principles that should be should matter. But ultimately, um, that's the direction you should be moving in. And can, I, can I just share one more. thought, Scott, as yeah, you're yeah. talking? You've used the word should. These are the things we should be doing, should be doing. And I just yeah. I hear that as a little bit of a I think that's a really hard place for as a human to respond from because it feels like an obligation or a um, a, uh, corporate social responsibility. This is our responsibility. And so there's something that needs to shift from the should to the must to the I can't not do it this way because of experiences I've had, because of the way I see the world. Um, And I think that's where the clarity comes from. And we get quite mushy or gray when there's a, well, we do it this way, but we should be doing it this way. And so I think the language may matter as we're inspiring people to think about new forms and functions for business. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, swag.com. Now, you know, if you've ever received a corporate gift or swag in the past, how many of those gifts did you actually keep? Probably not many which is probably because the stuff that you got was not so great. I've gotten uh, like a lot of stuff from trade shows and from companies in the past that I've just thrown out the second I get it. So this is why you need to check out swag.com. I've been on the receiving end of getting garbage gifts. I've also worked in companies where I only had access to a really, really small inventory of stuff that I wanted to give my customers and my employees, and I knew that it wasn't going to resonate. I knew that it was going to suck. So what is swag.com? Well, it's like... Swag upgraded. It's the best place to buy custom gifts and swag that people will actually want to keep. So they sent me a box because obviously they're sponsoring the show and I wanted to see what it's all about. I, you know, I've worked in businesses. I want to make sure that the quality of their stuff actually was up to my standards because I can tell you right now that when I get garbage, it goes right into the trash. It like it really goes right into the trash the second I got back from the trade show or the conference or whatever. So I received one of the custom swag boxes from swag.com. I loved the unique packaging, so it was a beautiful unboxing experience. Uh, I love the actual products they sent me, and there's a whole bunch more that obviously they didn't send me, but the stuff that they did send was absolutely beautiful. It was very high quality, and I can only imagine that if I actually got this when I was working for companies, I probably would have actually used it. And to be honest, I'm going to start using them for people that work on my show and in my company as well because I know that this isn't just... uh, a novelty gift that somebody's going to throw out. It's stuff that they can actually use. They have so many 
unique and customizable gifts that I've never seen anywhere else. They have custom yoga mats. They have custom Apple AirPods. They even have branded kayaks, which I did not know was a thing. So they carry all these premium brands like North Face, Yeti, Nike, and more. And it's all customizable with your company's logo or artwork. Uh, with swag.com, they take care of all of your swag at their warehouse and they ship it to individual addresses. Or if you prefer, uh, you can just send it to a bulk location in one single shipment. It's easy to manage uh, from their online portal, which you obviously get access to. So if this is something that you think would benefit you, if you have clients or customers or a team and you wanna go the extra mile and you actually wanna give gifts that people appreciate, which is the whole point of giving these gifts in the first place, go to swag.com uh, for the perfect swag and custom gifts. Right now, they're giving everybody who's a Success Story podcast listener a special offer. It's 10% off your entire order, but only when you go to swag.com success and enter promo code success10. Remember, for 10% off, go to swag.com success and use promo code success10. I agree. That's smart. I, I appreciate you catching me on that too, because I've definitely, I've definitely been part of organizations that haven't cared about this. Um, so it, it's difficult to reframe the way you look at business. I think it's, I think it's uh, very important that you, at least if you're using that language, you're already understanding without even, if you use that language, then you have to understand that you're already thinking from potentially not the right perspective. If Maybe. you are using too much of a should versus a must, or this is how it, this is how it has to be, or this is how, what we're doing. Like, it's almost like, a, I like, I like that a lot. Okay. Very interesting. All right. Yeah. Um, I want to get your perspective on, on leadership because I thought that was a good point as well. So let's talk about what leadership is and what leadership isn't. Um, from your definition, uh, leadership is, is what exactly, how do you, how do you become a leader? What is a leader? Leader is not just a title or a role or a salary. Leader is leadership is how you approach the world is what what is leadership and who can be a leader? Leadership is knowing your ability to exert power and influence from wherever you stand. Understood. It's being grounded in a place that only you stand and only you know from the full accumulation of your experiences and and life and view on the world. And it's knowing that inside of you is an engine to make choices that inspire and influence people around you. And every single person, every single person has that inside them. Absolutely. Definitely, absolutely has that inside them. And it is not a role. It is not a salary. And if you feel like you cannot influence, you're incorrect. So I would say own that own that a little bit more and whatever you do, whatever you do in your life, it's important to know that you do have that power. You, that, you have that your agency too, your agency, which I think is That's so essential, especially clear word <laughs> in this. Well, I thought a bit about this, but thinking yeah. about, um, uh, you know, in an era when big tech and social media hijack our attention and sell it, um, Unless we know our ability to choose how we respond, what we attend to, what we invest in with our time and energy and resources, if we are just carried along without a sense of our own independent decision-making ability, 
we end up in a you know spot where there's a, a threat of authoritarian leadership or a, we we are the product um and we live at a time that requires every human to know and Bartu indeed talks about to citizen is a verb. Everybody knows their responsibility to contribute to solving problems, big or small. Um, because without all of us having that orientation, we will just get sort of swept along and swept off a, a cliff. Um, we need everybody to sort of see their power as change agents. I love that. Um, I want to, uh, that's a, it's a beautiful way to, to sort of wind this down. I want to pivot into some rapid fire questions as well, just great, to pull out some great. insights from you. Um, before I pivot, any final closing thoughts on, on any of the topics we spoke about, um, on what you'd hope people uh, take away from uh, like global citizen, citizen year, um, any of the work that you've done. Also, most importantly, where do people reach out to connect mm -hmm. with you? Uh, and go learn more socials and websites and all of that. What I would say to anybody listening who cares about contributing to a future that looks better than the present is that we can't miss this moment, that the pandemic, um, Arundhati Roy wrote about the pandemic as a portal, a, a door that we're walking through from one era of history into the next. And we choose what we carry and we choose what we leave behind. And in this race to get back to, quote, normal, I think so many sectors and industries are missing the opportunity to rethink everything. And my mission is to make sure we don't miss the moment in reimagining education to um, better align what young people most need to learn with what the world needs most. Um, that's, that's my view. And yeah, I, I, you can find more on uh, LinkedIn Twitter, Instagram, I'm Abby Fallick across each of those. And then through our website at globalcitizenyear.org um, where we are constantly on the hunt for extraordinary young people coming out of high school, um, for speakers to come sort of join our faculty to present and train with our students um, and for supporters. Uh, you know, we, we raise a very significant scholarship fund each year to make sure that our experiences are accessible. Um, and so always excited to find values aligned um, philanthropists who see this as a vehicle for investing in, in the kind of change they believe in. Amazing. Okay, let's do a couple rapid fire. All uh, right. The biggest challenge you've overcome in your own life, what was it? How did you overcome it? Biggest challenge has been defining my self-worth based on other people's reactions and perspectives that leads me into a place of being really hitched to what other people think about me. Um, and I think that play, it's related to a, a human instinct around comparing always bigger or smaller than someone else. Um, and it's something I've, I've done a lot of work on and really feel like I'm starting to get free of, which is knowing my own worth independent of other people's judgments. Amazing. And that's something I'm pretty sure uh, everybody is now suffering from due to social media, uh, to some extent, even before social media, obviously, but I think even even uh, more so now because of how easy it is to see um, the perfect version of someone else's life too. So it's easy to uh, really get lost in your own thoughts. That's a big one. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think social media puts us in a position of comparing our insides to other people's outsides. <laughs> you say Which everything is, I say just much always better. a losing so, battle. Always you know, a yeah. losing battle. <laughs> I, I, I need you to like paraphrase everything. I need to just keep you around so you paraphrase no, all my point. You're awesome. Okay. Yeah, we're a good um, team here. Uh, okay. Uh, if you had to choose one person, obviously there's been many, but pick one person who's been incredibly influential in your life. Who is that person? What did they teach you? There are many. I look up to so many other social entrepreneurs, people who are 10, 20, 30 years ahead in this journey of driving social change and just being relentless and um, putting the the mission before their own personal priorities, I think. Of, are there oh, other are there people that yes. people name some Brian names Stevenson, people go check Brian Stevenson leads yeah. the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, Ijen Poo, the National the Domestic Workers Alliance. Wendy Kopp, the founder of Teach for America and now Teach for All. People who have aligned their talents and abilities and power with the kind of change that's moving the world forward. Amazing. Um, a book, podcast, something you'd recommend people go check out that's influenced you? Every morning, I read some Pema Chodron. I actually have it right here. This is my current favorite. This is sort of my Bible, comfortable with uncertainty. But I find that if I just open to a page at random, be where you are, it may say. Make friends with your fear. Every day, it's spot on. It's like a stroke of magical serendipity in the morning. So read Pema, listen to Pema. Um, it's so grounding. Amazing. Uh, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Things take the time they take. Don't worry. Good advice. And then last question, what does success mean to you? Success means... aligning my life with what I'm here for, spending my time and my attention and my resources and my energy in the service of something bigger than myself and doing things that bring me more to life so that I have even more to contribute. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. 
Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there, and maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real, there are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 